Well, if, if you've been following us on, uh, on social media, you know that we were uh, at an uh, event at the Ferguson Center this week with a team. It's the first time we've sponsored one of the shows there, and, uh, and it's part of uh, just our, our renewed commitment to serve our city. And we thought what a great opportunity it would be to sponsor one of the shows and to be a part of making sure the uh, performing arts are always a part of the 757. And so if you're here uh, from that uh, event, we were able to do some things. We had a booth there. We did some inserts in the program. And so I've already met some people that we met there. So welcome. And uh, if you've not stopped by the Welcome Center yet, you can clap for that. If you've not stopped by the Welcome Center, we have a gift for you, and uh, you just have to take the little insert. If you forgot your insert, go get your gift anyways. We trust you. If you've been here for 10 years and you try to pretend you're new to get the gift, there's no lying in church. Come on. Especially at Christmas. Especially at Christmas. It's not just Santa that's watching. You hear what I'm saying there? All right. Switches and coal, lumps of coal for Christmas, so... We were a little loud at the performance, I have to confess. If you're visiting with us tonight, we're, we're, uh, we're a little expressive here at the City Life Church. I know that comes as a surprise to you now that you've been here for the first 45 minutes. And, uh, but we're, we, we, we like to participate, right, in what we're watching. And uh, we, we believe in participatory listening. And uh, Monica and I were joking at the uh, intermission, you know, how much are we allowed to participate? You know, we're talking back to the performers and and, uh, and so I'll, I, one of my favorite stories here at City Life is a, uh, a person who had been a part of the church for years, but she had, her, as her career advanced, she had not been a part of a, like an executive retreat. And so they were out and they were, had brought in a person to do training and all during the sessions that she was out there saying, come on, that's good. Yeah, I like that. And, and then all of a sudden she realized everybody's staring at her, right? Why, what is wrong with you? And so we are talkers here. The one thing I did pick up from the uh, holidays, which is the show we sponsored, that when the performers did something that they felt like the crowd wasn't responsive enough, they do one of these, right? They kind of at the end of it, right? And then everybody claps. And so I might work that in if you're not there with me tonight. Forgive you one of these. There you are. There, see, there you go. Nice. Nice. You guys, you're awesome. I like it. Oh, it's so good. We're in a series, loving the series that we're in on the Holy Spirit. It was, it was our Christmas series, The Forgotten Gift of Christmas, and, and, uh, but I think we're going to be in this series. It's going to take us into, into January uh, pretty far. It might even take us all the way up to the anniversary, anniversary service every year. We try to cast vision for the coming year. Uh, and so there's still so much more we've not gotten to yet in the series, and so I think we're going to stay with it here. I'm not sure what the Suffolk campus is going to do. Um, they might choose to track with it as well, but we're definitely going to stay with it here at the Newport News campus. Tonight, I've entitled this message, My Pages, My Pages, and, uh, and, and we're kind of building to that moment, and you're going to understand why I've entitled that uh, when we get to the end. So Father, just as we dive into your word tonight, I, I pray that you would just still our hearts. All the excitement and the enthusiasm that we've experienced so far, we know that you've already done a deep work in many of us, but we know that there's more work that you want to do, that your word is a living word, that your word is an active word, that, that, that your word, there's a sacredness to it and, as it, and as it works its way down deep into our hearts, it has the power to set us free, it has the power to heal, it has the power to save. It is the power to transform our lives. 
And Holy Spirit, we say to you, have your way in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said... Amen. Last week, we took a deep dive into John 16, verses 8 through 11. It's, it's one of the most comprehensive descriptions of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does that Jesus gives to us. We spent extensive time talking about this idea of the Holy Spirit being our advocate and being our comforter and what that means for us. And tonight, I, I want us to look further. We, we, we read them to you last week. I'm going to read the text again in just a minute. But I want us to spend our time tonight talking specifically about the clarifying statements that Jesus gives in this text. It's where he talks about the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. But then he gives some interesting clarifying statements. And I call them interesting because sometimes when you read them, it it might feel as though I'm not sure how the two connect. And so we're going to look at those Tonight, this is John 16, 8 through 11. I'm going to read this portion of the text out of the New American Standard. It said, And he, when he comes, referring to the Holy Spirit, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, here, here come the clarifying statements. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Verse 10 says, Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Verse 11 says, And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So just to get our thoughts moving in the right direction, like we like a little participation here at City Life, to tell me a time in your life, don't give a big story, just a little synopsis, just a statement or two, of when you were absolutely convinced of something. I'm not talking about a situation when you're convinced, right, and then you found out later you were wrong. I'm talking about a situation when you were absolutely convinced something to be true, and, and then it actually was. But just that feeling inside of you. Somebody give me, raise your hand, I'll point to you. A time in your life where you felt completely convinced something to be true. Come on. I know you're out there. It's the last. First time you were pregnant. Yes. Right? Come on. Clap. There you go. All right. All right. Come on. Clap for people participating. Somebody else. Some, a moment in your life. Husbands, I'm just telling you right now, you're in trouble if you don't share some things right here. Share. Sharon. Yeah, come on. A promise from God that they were going to have a baby, and a year later they adopted a child. Come on, that's good. Shani? Yeah, just a sense. Annie, uh, Shani, career in the Air Force, had a sense that she was going to be going back for another deployment and then got an email. Alvin? That your wife was the one. See, guys, I'm just telling you. This is low-hanging fruit right here, people. Low-hanging fruit. All of you who didn't share in the dog house, there's room on my couch for you. All right, somebody else. Come on, a couple more. A time in your life. I know you're out. You've been convinced before. Time in your life where you were convinced of something. Come on. Career decision, yeah, right? There's moments in your life where you've got choices, where, where you, you've got to pick a path, and then just something inside of you, you know this is the right thing. This is the right thing. That feeling that every person, you've all felt it at some point in your life. You've had a feeling in your life where you were absolutely convinced something was true. 
The Bible here in John 16 says the Holy Spirit wants to create that feeling inside of you when it comes to sin, righteousness, and judgment. That part of his work in your life is to convict you, which is a personal convincing. We defined that last week. A personal convincing when it comes to sin and righteousness and judgment. He doesn't want you to be uncertain. He doesn't want you to be unsure. He doesn't want you to be unclear. He wants to convict you, a personal convincing. Somebody say concerning sin. The Holy Spirit is always working to convince every person they need forgiveness. The Holy Spirit is always working to convince every person that they need forgiveness. We understand this through the clarifying statement. So when Jesus says the Holy Spirit is, is going to convict the world of sin, the reason why he gives the clarifying statement because they do not believe in me is Jesus' way of helping us to understand what he means here when he's talking about sin. He's talking about Jesus being the only way that we can ever truly be forgiven of our past. John 3.16, many of you have heard this verse. Even if you've not been around the church, you're familiar with it. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus in John 14 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. There is a forgiveness that you and I need, and Jesus is the only way to that forgiveness. And part of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is to remind you, to convince you that you need the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Think about Mark 3, 28 and 30. It says, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying of Jesus that he was possessed by an evil spirit. There's lots of curiosity of, of what did Jesus mean when he talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. This word to blaspheme means to slander. It, it means that, that you're completely and totally opposed to something or someone and the reason why Jesus says to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is the only unforgivable sin is because one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit in your life is to convince you that you need the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And so if you reject him, if you reject the Holy Spirit and the work, in, the work that he wants to do in your life, that Jesus is your promised salvation, that's why Jesus says, there's no forgiveness for that because you've rejected the very forgiveness that he wants to freely give. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is the ultimate sin because it is to deny the work of Jesus on the cross. I know for me personally in, in, in the summer and in, in, in the fall of 1990, which was the year where I made a vow of devotion to Christ when I was 23 years old, one of the pictures that I wrestled with when I was having this conversation with God about the life that I was living and this sense inside of me of the forgiveness that I needed, maybe you're here tonight and you're in that same place. And I remember having this picture of Jesus being on the cross and I, and, I, and I remember having this sense of God asking me the question, Fred, if it's okay for you to keep living the way that you're living, then, then you've got to explain this picture to me. Why would I go to such lengths? Why would Jesus endure so much? Why would he give up all of heaven and come to earth and die on that cross if you were okay like you were? 
I remember that I had a hard time reconciling living my life for myself and what Jesus had done for me. And, and that was one part of the conversation that led me ultimately in December of that year of making a vow of devotion to Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit is at work with your life long before he is at work in your life. If you've never made a vow of devotion to Christ, the Holy Spirit's not inside of you yet. That comes later. We're going to be talking about that in this series. But the Holy Spirit has been following you around from the moment you were conceived. He's a little bit like a stalker, but in a good way. From the moment of your conception, the Holy Spirit's there, whispering in your ear, speaking to you, talking to you, breaking through. For some of you, you're so familiar with his voice because his voice has been part of your life from the beginning that you don't even recognize that it's him. He's at work in your life. And one of the ways that he's at work in your life is that he wants you to know that there is a forgiveness that you need. He's not there to convince you and convict you of the forgiveness that you need because he's trying to shame you. He's not at work in your life trying to convict you and convince you of the forgiveness that you need because he's trying to heap regret upon you. Is there such a thing as healthy shame? Sure there is. Is there such a thing as healthy regret? Sure this is. Sure, sure it is. But the Holy Spirit is not trying to demoralize you. The Holy Spirit is trying to get you to connect with a feeling inside of you that God has something that you desperately need, and that's a fresh start. He wants you to know, the Holy Spirit wants you to be certain that Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the world, he died for your sins. Every person in this room has regrets. Every person in this room can look back into something or some time in your life where you were less than the person that you were supposed to be. The Bible tells us in Romans that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every person is in need for the forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. And we like to do a little participation here at our church, and sometimes we do that participation, and it's for fun, but sometimes it's also for meaning. If you were with us in this series that we came out of before the, the series on the Holy Spirit, every week we spent some time with some participation moments, and as I was praying this afternoon over this message, I felt like we were supposed to do a couple of them tonight again. And I know these moments of participation, they take courage. I know these moments of participation can be hard because they require you to step out of being hidden. There's something in our humanity that doesn't like being conspicuous, but yet as we read through the Gospels, what we find is the people that had the most dramatic encounters with Christ were willing to set aside their human fears and were willing to take a stand and just as Jesus was there 2,000 years ago, I tell you, he's here tonight. He's present. And unlike 2,000 years ago, because he's gone back to heaven, it means now he's back to his divinity, which means he's able to minister to every person here individually as if you were the only person that he was standing in front of. And so if you're here tonight and you would say, you know what, Fred? I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I just want to pray for you in this moment. I just want to pray for you in this moment. 
If you're here tonight and you would say, Fred, I'm struggling with some regrets. If you're here tonight and you would say, I'm coming into this Christmas season and I'm looking, maybe it's over, over your recent past, you would say, and there's some things that I'm feeling guilty about and I want to feel the forgiveness that you're talking about. I'm going to invite you to stand where you are. We're not going to linger in this moment. I'm going to invite you to stand. And as you stand, I'm going to pray. Find some courage in your heart because I know that you're here. Father, I pray for people that are standing here tonight who are willing to take a step and say that there is regret in my heart. I thank you for the courage of the people that are standing. I thank you, Father, that there is an exchange that they're having with you right now. That there's a transaction that's taking place right now deep in their heart. Just like as they've been doing Christmas shopping for their family and they, they went into the store and they brought a gift to a register and the, 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 the item was given to them and the money was exchanged. That's what you're doing with them right now. That they're offering you their regrets and you're giving them forgiveness in turn that Jesus has already paid the bill for. And I pray that right now, as they stand, that they would feel something washing over their heart. That this moment of standing would be a moment of confession for them. This moment of standing would be the exchange that would be taking place for them. This moment of standing, as they leave here tonight, they would feel a cleansing washing over them. Come on, in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, Amen. Come on. We applaud courage here at this church. And let me just caution you tonight. If you're here tonight and you look back into your life and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I'm pretty good. I've made a few mistakes, but I'm not sure I really need what you're talking about. What I would say is be careful. Be careful. Because God loves you enough to take you to wherever you need to go to have your desperation revelation. And I hope you get there easier than harder because you're going to get there either way. Somebody say concerning righteousness. Concerning sin is about forgiveness. Concerning righteousness is about a standard. The Holy Spirit is always working to convince every person that they need a standard. Let me read that again. The Holy Spirit is always working to convince every person that they need a standard. Listen to this statement. Righteousness is the virtues of God revealed to us in the character of Christ. Righteousness is the virtues of God revealed to us in the character of Christ. Vanessa was talking about this little booklet. It's, it's free. It's free. If you've never gotten one of these, you see somebody in a blue shirt, they keep them in the cart back there, they'll give you one. This is our book that talks about discipleship. And in the back of this book, I'm going to read it in just a minute, there's a list of virtues. Those virtues are the biblical definitions of the character of Christ. That's righteousness. The righteousness of God was revealed to the world through the living Christ. The clarifying statement, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, the reason why Jesus gives this statement in connection to the standard or to righteousness is because he's referring to his coming resurrection. He's not died yet when he's giving this teaching. He's not risen from the dead yet when he gives this teaching that's recorded for us in John 16. He knows it's coming. And what Jesus is saying is that when you raise yourself from the dead, you've earned the right to tell people how they should live. Now, if you're a parent in here tonight, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know. When you come to your teenagers and say, look, turn the lights out, okay? When I go upstairs and every light is on in the entire upstairs, and they're all in the downstairs, 
right? Hey, the lights are on upstairs. Now, you know just as well as I do, they get this look on their face. That you as a parent have a responsibility to work off of their face. Right? And part of that, I see, I know, you're going to get there. There you go. Is that you need to give them some justification. And if you're a parent, you're okay with giving some justification. And you know what the justification is. When you get your own house, you don't have to turn the lights out. But while you're here, you're going to turn the lights out because I pay the bills and you're a freeloader. Right? This is biblical parenting 101 right here. Right? You understand. You understand that as a parent, you've earned the right. When it's time for them to do their chores and they're doing them reluctantly, you have the ability to say, hey, you're going to do chores here and you're going to do them joyfully. And when you get your own house, you can make your own rules. But as long as you're living here, even though right now you're 33 years old, you're going to do your chores. You give as as a parent, you say, I've earned the right to make some rules here. I've earned the right to tell you what you can and can't do. You and I need a standard. You and I need a, a measure. You and I need something to compare our life too. And Jesus says righteousness and then he talks about his resurrection because he wants you to know that he has earned the right to be the ultimate authority in your life. He's earned it. This is his world that we're living in. He created it. He gave us the gift of life. He has the right to rule over us even if he had not come and died for us and rose from the dead, because we're his, created in his world by him, he has the right to make demands of us. But he didn't just do it that way. He went beyond what would be required. He laid his life down for his creation to redeem us, to make a way for us to be reconciled to our God. The virtues that we find in Scripture that speak to us about the character of Christ, which is the righteousness of God, is the standard that he calls us to. This is it right here, people. Authentic, content, hospitable, truthful, persevering, wise, hopeful, loving, Joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, faithful, humble, grateful, merciful, honorable, principled, selfless, fervent, forgiving, believing, and self-control. 24 virtues come from the five great growth lists in Scripture. All of it's explained in here. There's a definition and a verse that we give you in this book. This is the standard. This is the standard. You might say, well, Fred, what about all the things that we're not supposed to do? We spend some time talking about those here at this church, too. We do. But can I just tell you, if you're pursuing these 24, a lot of those things are going to take care of themselves. They're going to take care of themselves. If you're living your life to be these 24 things, you're going to stop living your life to be a lot of the things that you need forgiveness for. 
So this is the second participation moment that I want to bring us into before we go into talking about judgment. And then we wrap it up talking about pages as we come around the corner. You and I need a standard. The Holy Spirit is always working to convince every person that they need a standard. And so I'm going to pray in just a minute, but as I was reading that list, I'm believing that some of you here, you felt a twinge. You heard one of those words and you thought, i got to work on that one. Now I know that all of us need to work on all of these. I'm not talking about a, a, a moment of confession that we're all falling short of all 24. We get that. We understand that. I'm talking about a moment where maybe the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart. Maybe he's been talking to you about one of these things, and then you heard it again tonight, and that's his way of confirming that he wants you to make some progress. So as I pray, I'm going to invite you to stand. If there was something in there, one of those words, one of those virtues, and this is your way, this is your way of saying back to the Holy Spirit, I'm going to do some heavy lifting. I know I've got some work to do. I know you've been chasing me down on this particular one, and, and I'm going to give it some attention. Come on, even if you already stood and you feel like you need to stand again, don't let that stop you. Father, I pray for the people that are standing right now. As we read that list of 24 virtues, Father, I pray for the people that are standing right now. In Jesus' name, whichever word it was on that list, or maybe words, maybe there were several that they just felt their heart leap. Father, I pray, I pray that as they move through these coming weeks, as they come through this Christmas season, that they're going to feel and see immeasurable progress. That there's going to be the courage of conviction is going to well up inside of their heart. That you're going to break patterns right now, even in Jesus' name. It could be that, that words that are always coming out of their mouth. It could be a reaction that they're always bringing to a particular person. It could be a response that they feel like that's just programmed inside of them, Father, that it's a new day. That there would be a separation from who they once were and a new beginning. That 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if any person is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That they're going to feel something new inside of them as they put new effort and new hope for new change. That you're going to speak over their life in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said together. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's applaud some courage. Concerning sin, because you need forgiveness. Concerning righteousness, because you need a standard. Concerning judgment, because there always needs to be a consequence. The Holy Spirit is always working to convince every person that they need a consequence. What if... You woke up on Monday... And there was a press release that Virginia was going to eliminate all speed limits in the state of Virginia. I know. I know. And the fact that some of you are so happy is the reason why that's not going to happen. Right? Don't be foolish. You know. If there were no speed limits, you think driving around here in the 757 is already a problem? Good Lord. And you know exactly why those signs are posted. You know exactly why there are people out patrolling. You know exactly why tickets are written. You know exactly why. And if I seem familiar with this process, there's a reason for it. 
There are times where you and I, we need to know that there is a consequence to our action to motivate us to do the right thing. What if every company in America completely and totally eliminated all kinds of drug testing? I know. You better buy some stock in Nabisco because people could be buying some snacks. I know. I know. I don't know anything about that. Just somebody, somebody that was clapping had to explain that to me. For some of you here, that's a real part of your life. For some of you here, you've, you've, made, a, you've made a better decision because you knew that the company you work for might test you. Come on, you know it to be true. Part of the nature of our humanity is that we need a consequence to motivate us because we're broken, we're selfish. It's why Jesus gives us the order that he does. Sin and righteousness, he saves judgment for last because he wants us to know, hey, there's going to be a test in the end to see how you're doing with the first two. What if we took prayer out of school? The social pressure to parent our children well and to give parents the permission to make demands of their kids. Oh, we're already living in that consequence. You might say, well, Fred, what does prayer in school have to do with there being a consequence? Don't, don't tell me that all those years where children opened up their school day praying, that that didn't create some type of sense inside of them that there was a God who loves them and that he has expectations of them. Don't tell me that didn't affect their behavior in the classroom. You take away consequence, humanity is going to run amok. Matthew 16, 27, it's a hallmark verse for our discipleship model. For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. All people. That word for deeds in the Greek is praxis. You can get the book to understand why we picked that. All people, it says. It doesn't just say people who didn't make a vow of devotion to Christ. It says all people. The Bible talks about different kinds of judgments. Now, we're not going to be judged about heaven because if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, heaven is promised to you because that's the nature and the definition of grace. But the Bible clearly says you're going to be judged. I'm going to be judged according to how we lived because of the grace that we were given. There's a judgment that we're all going to have. On the back of this book, we talk about, are you ready for your conversation with God? I live my life every day knowing that the most important moment in my created existence, my created eternal existence, is going to be the moment that I stand before Christ and give an account for my life. The Holy Spirit is always working to convince every person that they need a consequence. Jesus says as his clarifying statement, because the ruler of this world has been judged, the reason why he gives us this clarifying statement is that he's trying to help you to understand who you should be aligning your life with. He says, 
concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. This is a warning by Jesus. It's a warning for us to stop aligning ourselves with the enemy of our soul who's already condemned and because he himself is the essence and the nature of what it means to blaspheme and totally reject God through the rebellion that he led in heaven and now he's in this world trying to take as many people down with him as possible. Jesus is saying he can't win so stop aligning your life with him. Don't do it. You're choosing a losing team. Now, there are exceptions to that. I'm a Redskins fan. <laughs> so don't tell me about the game because it's, I've, it's DVR. Don't come up to me. Don't text me anything. I'm going to be disappointed. Let me cry by myself later tonight. I joke about that, but right, if you're a loyal fan and your team is horrible, you don't switch teams. You don't, you're not a bandwagon fan. You, you know that sometimes in this life that loyalty requires you to suffer a little bit, but that's not supposed to carry over into eternity. It's not supposed to carry over into eternity. However you've aligned yourself with a life that is opposite from the life that Christ has called you to live, you've got you to gotta break that off. It might involve relationships that you've intertwined your life with, you've got to walk away from. Jesus is saying to you and to me, there's a consequence in the end. There's a conversation that you and I are going to have with him about how we lived our lives. Let's stop aligning ourselves with people that are headed in the wrong direction. What if in school, every test that you ever took, you were given the questions and the answers? You better be a straight-A student. But isn't that what Scripture is for us? Hasn't he given us the answers to the questions and then all the questions themselves to get us ready for the conversation that you and I will one day have with him? It's coming. Somebody say, my pages. So the worship team makes their way back up. Let me read you these verses out of Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16 say this, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Here it comes. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. I entitled this message tonight, My Pages, because... You've got pages in heaven. I've got pages in heaven. The question is whether or not the pages in heaven that speak to your life, are they going to be a work of fiction or are they going to be a biography? The question that you and I should be asking is, when I come to the end of my days, is the life that I lived, am I walking out, am I a living manifestation of the dream of God for my life?
What if, people, what if the first thing that we're given when we get to heaven is a book? And what if that book is the dream that God had for you and me from the foundations of the earth? What if one of the first things that we're given when we get to heaven is is this book that is a collection of all the thoughts and hopes and dreams of the creator of the universe, the Father who loves us? What what if if we get this book and, and then we get to spend the first part of our eternity reading through this book? How much is going to be fiction? How much is going to be a biography? What if, what if, what if people who reject Christ What if the people who reject forgiveness and find themselves in a place the Bible calls hell that's given the description weeping and gnashing of teeth? What if one of the reasons why there's weeping and gnashing of teeth is because on their way in to eternal punishment, what if they're given a copy of that book and then they spend an eternity reading what could have been? I'm just asking you tonight as we move forward into this Christmas season, make a decision, make a decision that you want to become the living pages of the dream and the book of God. Listen, listen to these three statements. Jesus is the forgiveness that I need. Jesus is the standard that I pursue. And Jesus is the consequence that I acknowledge. Stand with me. Father, I pray for every person that needs to see those statements tonight. I pray for every person that's here tonight that needs a convincing. I pray for every person here tonight who deep in their heart there needs to be a conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment and I pray that they would open their heart to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in their life to see that Jesus is the answer for all of those questions that he is our forgiveness that he is our standard and that he will one day be our consequence in Jesus name come on let's worship together